Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. Good afternoon, Emily. Thank you very much for joining me. I think it's third time lucky we've tried to record this on the Insurance Brokers podcast. It's really lovely to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, thank you for having me. So for those listening, this is the wonderful Emily Kenner. Uh, Emily has started her own business called Sense Risk Solutions and has quite an interesting story in terms of um, corporate background, getting to where she is now, and her passions that drive the business. So I thought it'd be really interesting to have you on, have the conversation, learn a little bit more about you, your challenges, opportunities, things that you want to do in the future, and yeah, just hear a little bit about you. So Emily. Um, yeah, so I, um, I've been in insurance for nearly 20 years now. Um, I, I started out as a graduate trainee um, all those years ago uh, for Zurich at the time and quickly decided I wanted to go into broking, actually. Yeah, I enjoyed working with the clients, and, and that was really where I found my strength. And I, I started work for a small independent broker, which, like many brokers um, out there today, got bought out by a bigger broker that got bought out by an even bigger broker. And my career has always been hugely important to me, um, even through education. I, I love our sector. I think it's a really fascinating sector. Um, so many people fall into it, and I, I don't know why so many people fall into it as opposed to choose it. I don't think we advertise it well enough. But for me, um, in terms of my story, um, it's, it's my son, really, that changed a lot of things for me, um, I would say. I yeah I'd had I'd had a decent enough career um I'd done well I'd excelled um but when when my son was born it it really did change a lot of things for me um and made me look at the world a different way um my son who's now coming up to 10 this month he's non-verbal autistic so he he doesn't really understand. We don't know how much under, how much language he does understand because he, he can't speak and he seems to work things out by social cues. Um, but it was very early on when he wasn't even two, we were told. He was severely autistic and the, the gap between him and typical children was just going to get wider and wider and wider. And it hit us like, a as a family unit, it hit us like a ton of bricks because... Yeah, you, you, you have this vision of how your life's going to go and what's going to happen in there. And when you haven't really encountered special needs really in your life, it's, um, it's, quite, it's quite a hard experience to go through, if I'm honest. Um, but also an amazing one as well, um, because my son has really changed my outlook has definitely made me a better person and I wouldn't say I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination but yeah just my goals and my vision and what's important to me um all of that really has has evolved a lot since having having William um and my beautiful daughter as well who's um 
very very similar to me very very chatty and yeah <laughs> William, I know William is um yeah he he, he sort of uh, changed a lot of things for me and on what was important and what I wanted to achieve and and do and and was really a big big part of my why to set up in business because I I don't think I I would have taken that step um without that motivator behind me because I I did need more flexibility but I also wanted to create something that I was proud of a business that represented what my goals were um and and the goals around that really to give really good advice um to uh, the business community and to empower the next generation so I mentioned that earlier about how many people fall into our sector, um, about empowering people to come into our sector and just just creating a business culture that I'm proud of, you know, and, and is is accessible, is inclusive, is all of those things. And, and admittedly, we are on the start of that journey. Um, so we're quite a new startup. Um, I first became an appointed rep just over three years ago. We became directly authorised just over 12, well, just over a year ago now. It's my husband and I in the business, and we actually took on an apprentice this week. So, Congratulations. Um, no, hopefully the first Do of you May. Know, when Laura uh, Hancock introduced me and you, she said to me, Emily is one of the most inspirational people you will meet. And I have to say... This is the second time I think we've we've sort of mm-hmm. e-met, and I think she's absolutely right. And I think um, your core uh, desire very much comes across in hearing you speak, and I think it is such a powerful thing to start a business with, and also really difficult. I mean, being a parent mm-hmm. is difficult. Special educational needs as wonderful mm. as it can be, is, a, is another layer on top of that. And then your own business is like another layer on top of that. So congratulations. Tell me more about the, the direction you're heading and yeah. what you are, what and how you are developing the culture that you've just talked about. How do you do that as a startup as you bring people on? Yeah, no, there's, um, first of all, I would say, I don't do this alone. I have a great support unit, um, my husband, uh, my family, my friends, um, you know, and I, I always say this about expand your network and really people want to help. Generally, people want to help other people in the main. I, I have this great belief that most of us are good people and that's we get a great deal of satisfaction out of that and actually that's really important for your mental well-being that feeling part of a community and all trying to achieve something and you know I I am incredibly grateful for the network that I've developed over the years um but also when I know you talk about that for the business for the direction of the business and how we want to develop a culture is being challenged being challenged yourself, bringing in a network of people to challenge you and to think about how you go about making decisions and and what's the right thing to do. Um, so I'm always open to listening to people, and I really find that amazing to get those different viewpoints and and 
And I hope as our business grows that that diversity of thought through the people that we take on and we employ um, will be the making of us. Because I, I do think surrounding yourself with people that are different to you and the way you think, whilst uncomfortable to a certain degree, because I, and I think this happens a lot in, in the workplace, we do like to surround ourselves with similar people. It's just naturally what we do. It's easier. It's comfortable. Um, but we don't necessarily get the right perspectives then on how we can innovate, how we can change things, how we can make things better. I think as a, a sector, we're, we're quite slow to move forward. We, we do seem to be a little bit scared of technology as a way to empower purchases and things like that. So as a business, yeah, it, for us, what we want to develop and, and how we're going to develop that is a really inclusive culture um, to be challenged on that. Um, I certainly want to be challenged and bring people in who challenge my thought processes and and make it that inclusive environment that I want it to be, but a happy environment, one that I, there's so many things that I, I don't think are necessarily right, this, this culture to push people to put in, endless hours to achieve goals when I don't think that's good for mental health I hear that from so many people who've done it and then they've got to a point in time in their lives and they just crash and burn I think you know yes you've got to invest in your work-life balance and and that's really important and as as a company I think you'll generally reap the rewards I mean obviously we're all different and I, I appreciate that but every time I go and meet somebody I I always go in with the, the viewpoint that these are good people and they, they want to be part of a community and they want to achieve things. I have a question for you, and that is the idea of work-life balance and developing a culture within a company where employees have that work-life balance, have the open structure to be able to communicate with ideas or problems. It, it's a wonderful utopia if I might use mm. that word mm. how do yes. you as the business owner and mum manage mm. that for yourself and I that's a very personal question because I struggle with that balance being a business owner and having having children and, 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 and just being a human you know I, I, mm. and a bit of a perfectionist slash control freak that working every hour might be manageable with strict routines but the thinking every hour about the work or the issue or the next meeting or whatever is very difficult and I think that's the most detrimental part of of this how do you manage it I I would say one I so yeah this is it's an interesting question I say we grow we grow we're growing as a business but we're not growing exponentially like some businesses that I see but then at the same time I'm, I'm wary about that too that you're you're so desperate to grow as quickly as possible that you you kind of lose control of um of what's happening in that organization so whilst within your own organization so whilst we're growing we're, we're not growing super fast because it is that balance and I'm very wary of that and whilst I have a goal like everybody else does and a big goal at that it might take us a bit longer to get there than other people would do because they're they're putting in endless hours because I have got a family and my mental health is really important to me I know I need to be strong so I run a lot 
I love my running for my head space. In fact, I'm injured at the moment, which is frustrating, but I'm seeing a physio and he's optimistic I'll be back up and running again by the end of the month. So that'd be amazing. Um, but I run marathons and I, I love that, just that head space for me. Um, and I don't know why, and I've always said this, and I say this about my son, everybody seems to be in, on this race to get there as quickly as possible and at, and at all costs. And I, I don't understand, because it's like a marathon to me. I'm not doing a sprint here. I'm doing a marathon. I'm going to keep a steady pace going. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that goal. And it might not be as fast as other people, but it's at the right pace for us as a family unit and for us all. And I, I'm very lucky. I love what I do. So I, I don't often see it as a chore, but you're, you're right. There's those other commitments. And I think it's, be mindful of that and not feeling like a failure because other people are going faster than you. You're on your own race. <laughs> and that's that's the same as a marathon. There'll be people that are faster. There'll be people that are slower. You're doing your own race and you've got your own goal. And that's that's really I, how we work it. I think you're 100% right. And I love the analogy with a marathon. I've also run marathons, but very, very slowly and not particularly well. And I've come away from all of them going, oh, I didn't do that well enough, fast enough, whatever. So this is kind of the, the mental trajectory that I'm on at the moment is learning to do it my way and be OK with that. My question is, and, and this is a relatively personal question, what's the top lesson that your son has taught you that you've been able to bring into your business that you think has, has been quite pivotal? that people think differently to me, that people can be very, yeah, that I, I, I honestly, when I think back to, to me prior to having him, I, I was very much that mentality of everybody should be working really hard. I took on that corporate identity. I put in all hours. I was very committed. I look, and I still love what I do, but it was, um, it was something I threw myself at and I didn't understand other people necessarily, you know, I felt like, you know, if you wanted to get on, this is how you should be. And, um, and then I realized that, yeah, having, having William, that, you know, people had other things going on in their lives as well, that I wouldn't be aware of just like other people wouldn't be aware of what was going on, you know, outside of my work environment necessarily. And that, the way he approaches things is is so much different because we're all wired differently and to be more accommodating around that and to actually think and not get defensive. And I have to challenge myself on this all the time that, you know, why has that person reacted that way? And I actually much prefer it if, you know, if, if I said something that was an un, unintentionally offensive to somebody because I, I don't know and I think as a society, we're all a bit nervous about that in general, that I would want somebody to say to me, you know, that, that this made me feel this way. Um, so William's really opened my eyes to that, to be more, just just understand that people are very different. And just because your aim is here and you want to achieve that, doesn't mean everybody thinks the same way. And, and just to be mindful of that, I'd say that's the biggest lesson that he's taught yeah, me, yeah. I think that's an incredible lesson. Um, I have a neurodiverse child. 
and sometimes she'll say something that feels so left of center that I've never considered that perspective but actually I get it and what a great idea and so one of the things I've learned is to get out of my own channel or, or at least be open to lifting my head up and going oh let me see what's in your channel maybe I should give that a go rather than just kind of bulldozing forward with this is the way it should be go 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 um, and that's my natural inclination so so I, I hear you completely on that um that side of things talk to me a little bit about your passion for professional qualifications in the industry talk to me a little bit about the environmental uh, ethos that you have running through your um company and where these where, where it's come from these sort of quite distinct areas yeah so yeah absolutely um mandatory qualifications so i was part of um, the new generation group uh, for the Chartered Insurance Institute, the Broken Group, and we we actually wrote a report on this, um, calling for mandatory qualifications for client-facing staff. Um, so brokers, really, particularly particularly dealing with businesses, um, what our recommendation was was that if you had a certain amount of years' experience, you wouldn't need to do qualifications, but if you you new to the sector that you would get in an ideal world diploma level um, qualification um, and I'm I'm a big advocate for that again I'll go back to my early career um, and at the time um, I, I started out with Zurich who, who who were you know did invest a lot in training without a doubt but they did expect you to do the exams in your own time um, which is which is pretty standard in our sector, and um, I did struggle. Even though I had a degree, I, I struggled with these exams, and they were the ACII ones that um, we started out with, and and I failed. I, I remember I failed my insurance law, and um, I I failed motor as well. <laughs> I felt pretty deflated. Um, but then I went to work for a broker and they didn't really mind if you had qualifications or not. But actually broking is such a such a challenging sector to work in in terms of the knowledge that you need to have because you're you're selling and advising clients on a whole host of different insurance products as opposed to when you work for an insurance company where you're just normally selling your specific product. You're now selling across all these different types of cover and multiple wordings from each insurer and I felt really out of my depth it, you were learning on the job a lot of the time and and um I, I yeah I just felt like I would have liked a bit more of a foundation um and I, I don't really want the next generation that comes in and like the apprentice we've taken on I want to empower them to have that knowledge and that training and that and also that by passing the exams, you, you've had that recognition that actually you you know this stuff, and um, yeah, and you've you've passed as a consequence. And I, I, I did do my um, diploma um, in the end, and then I sat back for a little while. And um, uh, in 2019, I, I met with some old contacts, and they said to me, "Do you want to train on the certificate?" So I, I did some training um, with them, 
training um, like graduates coming into um, a big organization in terms of passing the certificate. But I never actually done those ones. I got my diploma through either diploma or ACII subjects. So I sat and did those in 20, early 2020. And I thought, wow, this is a great grounding, <laughs> this information. Obviously, I know it because I've been doing it for so long. But it's it's really useful information. Um, it's, it's our day job. There's so much in there that's so important. And then, of course, I went on and did my eight final ACII subjects to get the ACII, which I only got last year. Um, again, amazing, because I, I think learning, we should all be investing in ourselves and learning constantly. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was really interesting doing the essays. So with our um, apprentice, the idea is, and I want to take on more like this, is that they'll get their ACII within three years. So they get two days a week to um, to do the training, to do the reading the book. They'll be support. They're supported by a trainer because it's an apprenticeship program. So yeah. for any listeners who don't know, if you if you're on an apprenticeship program, that all gets paid for. So the exams get paid for, the training gets paid for. You're just paying the salary. Um, which is which is a great start, yeah, for for bringing talent into the sector. And I'm a huge fan of a huge fan of that and advocating for our sector because it is a really interesting sector to work in. Insurance is so diverse. There's so many different things you can do. It's it's really interesting. Why are we not getting more people wanting to as opposed to falling into it? So you'll get counter arguments around this, and you'll probably might even mention some to me in a minute, <laughs> depending on where you want the interview to go. Um, but I think it would be positive for the sector if, uh, and positive ultimately, and the most important thing is it would be positive for the clients. It will be positive for the clients if your staff, you've invested in your staff and got them up to a certain level. And nobody gets experience overnight. That doesn't happen. So how do we, how do we empower the next generation? No, no, no. I completely agree with you. I did. So my background before, you know, you know, a different lifestyle, a different lifetime was um, legal. So I trained uh, as a lawyer and I worked as a lawyer for, a, for a, the first part of my career. And actually, earlier this week, I was in Manchester with an insurer hosting their internal comms, which was their legal team talking to the wider uh, insurance group about particular things they're doing and I was absolutely fascinated at the crossover and the link between law and insurance in many many areas and yet the um, qualification qualification structure is very very different and I've heard the rhetoric I'm sure you have many many times about bringing insurance in line with the legal profession in terms of mandatory qualifications etc and I have to say I think particularly with the complicated um, complex sort of business insurance it's really really important and uh, interesting that it that it isn't mandatory I've seen a few areas that where it's gone wrong because of that uh, and I mm. find it fascinating and I, I I'm you know I sit on the Cambridge CII and have done a few stuff with the wider CII uh, around this topic so yeah I think it's fascinating really fascinating yeah. oh yeah and I, I do think it would be a benefit for the client and and a benefit for our sector as a whole if you're going to empower your staff to really mm -hmm. understand um, what they're selling and to delve into you know what does certain things mean because it is it is complex and you know it uh, I I would love to see in my lifetime that change 
as a as it yeah. has done um, on the um, financial advisory side. Um, yeah. I think that really sort of brought that sector up. And you, you see so many more people want to go into that sector because I think because it's seen as a profession and we are without a shadow of a doubt profession. And yeah, we should really be advising our clients around all their risks and insurance is just a risk transfer mechanism. But I do see us as more risk advisors and insurance is, yeah. a, is, a, is a way to transfer risk. So um, yeah, mandatory qualifications is, um, yeah. I, I just think it's, it's a real good way to test knowledge and to feel empowered yourself when you've had your knowledge tested you've passed those exams and you've got that foundation experience then adds to that and experience we all know experience is brilliant but it doesn't happen overnight it's it's one of those things you've got to work on over time and um yeah I I wish that I'd if I go back I wish that I'd been empowered to invest in myself more um and because at the time when I was doing my qualifications for Zurich and outside of my working day I'd moved to a new city, I wanted to make friends, all of those things were happening outside of my work that, I, yeah, there was a hard balance to do and I think we need to empower people within the working day and I don't think that's impossible. I think the apprentice route sounds like a really, really uh, interesting thing for employers out there to look into and just quickly going back to the diploma, the insurance law I loved given my background, uh, but it was the uh, finances one, the economics mm. one that I, I really hated doing, but thankfully it's done. So talk to me about the environmental piece. So I know this is something that you're very passionate about. Uh, mm. I know there are lots and lots of um, initiatives within the workplace towards environmental, um, you know, towards being more environmental. Mm. What is it you guys are doing and what do you think about the wider industry and their uh, support of this? Yeah, I think I think this is a really important piece. We are small at the moment. So for us, it's easier to be more environmentally conscious and and make better decisions. But yeah, I, I, I certainly would like to see the bigger organisations commit to it. And I, I have seen some certainly has been some insurers without naming people that I've seen that are doing amazing things around their environmental social government governance piece so the ESG piece um, and I think as a sector we could we could really make a difference in this space I appreciate that we're only small at the moment um, but as a sector to push that agenda and and work towards carbon neutral um, would be would be a huge thing so for me at the moment is is talking about it and within our organization there's there's so many tools out there that you can use to do that and we certainly will adopt that early on and it's easier early on to to set a standard I appreciate it's harder for those bigger organizations that have done things a certain way for so long um but I I certainly want to get more involved in making sure that that's on the agenda as a sector so when I when I talk about things yes we want to grow our business and we want to set an example and do things the way we think things should be done but I also think it's important that we keep pushing for it as a sector as I always say love the insurance sector I think it's a great sector to be in but 
there, there are so many ways we could improve things. So if um, if I can, I, you know, I'll speak at events and, and talk about it and just keep it on the agenda because I'm, uh, I, I know this isn't the environmental piece, but I'm diversity and inclusion representative for the Insurance Institute in Bristol. So we hold events around that and it's just really keeping it at the forefront of people's minds. But it's keeping things in people's minds and, and keep and keep saying that we need to do this as a sector. The more people that get behind this, everybody who gets behind these things and the environmental piece is really important too. We we could make a massive change and a really positive change. And um, whilst, yeah, whilst that's more of a, a sector, I think we could make a big difference there. It's, it's certainly, yeah, it, it's certainly on our agenda and how we go about that. Even as even as a household, it's it's little things that that yeah, you make a difference on, and mm. and I I never think I always say this I never think anything's too small. <laughs> I think you can always make changes and and feel proud of yourself for that. So yeah, I must say you're a very inspiring person to speak to, and um, just the drive you've got and the passions you have, and. It's really lovely to see. I love what you just said about nothing's too small because I'm an all or nothing. So if it's not huge, then it doesn't make a difference or it's not worth it or blah, blah, blah. And one of the things I'm trying to do is just, you know, bit by bit by bit, make small changes, which obviously add up to, to bigger ones. And I'm not just talking about work. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about, you know, everything. Uh, so it's really inspiring to listen to you talk about it. I suppose what I want to know uh, before we finish off is what's next for you for Sense Risk? What are you doing? What do we expect from you in the next five years? What are your aims? Yeah, no, well, we have got big goals. I would I'd, we'd invest more in apprenticeships. I'm also trying to look at ways to make the purchase of insurance more accessible, um, easier, because if we were all honest for certainly the smaller business owner, it is too complex at the moment. So that's another passion of mine. I do think we need to change things. How we do that is um, yeah, it's something that we still need to progress and develop and, and, and see how we do it. But I don't think anything's impossible. Um, and I think there are certainly ways that we can make our sector um, yeah, much better for the clients in terms of less complex, more accessible, easier to understand. Um, there's so much, so much we can do. And I, I hope our business will innovate and will be part of that innovative process as I'm sure there'll be other businesses push, pushing for positive outcomes for clients and how we do things and how we've always done things might not necessarily be the future. And so... So within our business, whilst, you know, it's always about giving the right advice and empowering staff to do that um, as we bring on apprentices and, and train them up and uh, and get them that good base knowledge and really invest in them. Yeah, it's also how can we be more innovative? Um, so I don't know, because I do always say this, life is a bit of a rocky road and it never goes straight how you plan it and you might have that vision and it, yeah, might, yeah, you might encounter a few boulders on the way, but... I think it's always always keeping that vision in mind, always keeping what you're doing it for in mind. And I always say that. I, I set up this business to create something better, something I was proud of, to 
to advocate for those things that I think is important to make a difference. And, you know, if you think about what, what motivates you in your life, yes, I want to be successful like everybody does, but actually success for me looks like positive outcomes for people and seeing people's lives change and then make a difference. And I, like I mentioned earlier on, that community and anybody listening today, do never never underestimate your community and surrounding yourself with amazing people, of which there are many, is hugely inspiring. And yeah, and and making those small steps. It can feel disheartening at times as well. I will say this, if you're passionate about something and you feel like nobody's listening or it's not going anywhere, you have to have quiet words with yourself at times to say, look, you know, but this is what you're doing this for all the right reasons, because you care about people, because you want to make a difference and not to become too disheartened if, yeah, you feel like you're hitting your head against a brick wall at times, but to just keep going because you're doing it for the right reasons. And yeah, I, I'd say, I don't know in answer to the question what the future holds. We have these great aims. The idea is, yeah, always to keep that vision and what's important to us at the forefront and, and see where this journey takes us. But I would say well, it's it's nice to be on that journey. Well, I will look forward to uh, watching what happens for Sense Risk and for you. And I would love to have you back on here in a, in a few months' time, see what's going, uh, see what... Um, innovations you're making and uh, it's been really really great to speak to you thank you Emily thank you Sarah it's been lovely to see you again thank you for having me today anytime thank you for listening to today's episode if you have enjoyed what you have heard have any questions or feedback please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you if you would like further information on how Boston Tullis Group can support your business or if you would like to join us on an episode please do not hesitate to contact us